0: Hey there, everybody. Welcome to Realty Speak, the podcast where experts share valuable insights, answer questions, and tell some real-world stories that'll get you thinking about how you can tweak your real estate investment strategy to build up revenue, realize higher returns, and retain more profit when you sell. Without further ado, here's yours truly, Bill Widener, and this episode's guest, Melissa Roman Birch. Melissa and I are coming to you today, 12 22 from the downtown Manhattan offices of the NYCEDC, New York City Economic Development Corporation. You may recall that Melissa was on the show this past January for New York Making a Big Comeback episode with the New York Real Estate Journal. Thanks for joining us again on Realty Speak today, Melissa.
1: Thanks so much, Bill. It's great to be here with you this morning.
0: Melissa, during your two-plus decades as a property executive, you've led some very large-scale projects and investments in transportation infrastructure, all while demonstrating environmental leadership and creating some very innovative partnerships. You are an active member of the Urban Land Institute, New York Women Executives in Real Estate, and the Real Estate Board of New York, and you receive both your undergraduate and master's degrees at Harvard. This past spring, you transitioned to the EDC from lend lease. Whereas the executive general manager, you initiated and led all acquisition and development activities for the New York region. That sounds like it was a great role. And now you are COO of EDC, leading the real estate transactions and asset management divisions. Why the move, Melissa?
1: Great question, Bill. Um, I'm getting this quite a bit these days, um, because it was a big move. But in many ways, this is something I've been thinking about my whole life. I have always wanted to go to work in service of New York and to jump into the public service arena. But it was always something out there on the horizon, something I was going to do five years from now, 10 years from now. And I like to say that the future came to the present when I received a call from the CEO, Andrew Kimball, of the New York City Economic Development Corporation, who said, I'm looking for a strong partner from the private sector to join me in the leadership of the EDC to drive growth and to assist in bringing New York City's recovery to full bear. Uh, Would you consider this? And I said, this is a special opportunity. This is a special moment in the city thinking about our economic recovery post-COVID. This is a brand new mayor uh, who I really believe in and who said, we want business and we want real estate to be at the center of this recovery. And we want to be partners with these folks in driving economic activity. So I said, this is really a once in a lifetime type
0: of an opportunity. I'm going to go for it. And and I did. So when we did the New York making a comeback in January, did you kind of already know this was going to happen?
1: Bill, I had no idea. I can't tell you how, uh, you know, I was just going about my business at uh, LendLease as their executive general manager leading investment and development here in New York. It's really, it's what I've been doing for the last 20 years in New York City. I've been doing large scale projects. And in fact, many of those were public private development projects. And many of those were across the table from the New York City Economic Development Corporation. So so this was a place that was known to me. Uh, these are people that I have always respected, who I believe are creative and innovative. And and this
0: organization is one that takes on ambitious projects. And obviously, they knew you because you were on the other side of that table.
1: Yes, yes, yes. No, that's exactly right. right. So. so it's kind
0: of kismet that you got, the, you got the call when you did, right? You're just talking about New York City making a comeback, and now you're really part of it. Well, thanks for sharing that. That's really great. And uh, happy to have this opportunity to be with you today and talk about the EDC. And when I think about the word Economic, I think manufacturing, retail, services, real estate, policy, government, politics, and on and on. And there's one common denominator across all of that, people. Without people, none of this exists. Please tell us what is an EDC and how the people both inside and outside of the organization with so many different perspectives play into all of this economic development. Bill, the people
1: of the EDC are really the special sauce of this organization. Uh, So it's a great place to start this discussion. We are 500 people strong here at the EDC. Wow yes, it's a it's I had a sig- no idea. <laughs> <laughs> it's a significant organization. And you know, the people here are folks that really move between industry and public service. and I think that that's partly um why we are so effective as an organization in uh, really speaking for the um speaking for the intersection of both business and government and thinking about both economic development policy and real estate. So the people here are, um, and, and I'll explain why in a second, but we have scientists here, we have city planners here, we have real estate executives here, we have economic analyzers here. We have people who are focused on business development and partnerships. It is a really wide array of um, of folks who are drawn to our work. And the reason why is that we, as an EDC, are a real estate organization, and we also help develop new sectors and new industries within New York City. So when I talk about that scientist, let me tell you why. Because that scientist is part of our life sciences initiative. We are hard at work building a whole new sector, a whole new part of the economy around life sciences. And we need people who understand the way that science is is created who understand the research who understand the ecosystem to be partners with us in guiding those investments and making sure that we're building these new sectors within our economy in a way that can be sustainable,
0: equitable and successful. The whole thing seems overwhelming to me. It really does. <laughs> and and now I understand why you have 500 people. Y- <laughs> Inclu- yes. Well, in- including some scientists. So is the EDC just a New York thing? Is it a uh, quasi-organization that's part government, part private, part non-for-profit? Explain that whole structure to me. Absolutely. Just to sort of level set, the EDC is a
1: 501c3. We are a nonprofit. We are a public benefit corporation. And I think that's the best way to understand who we are. We are not a government agency. We are in tandem with government and we work to uh, further many of the policy objectives of government and we work as partners with government as we work as partners with the private sector. But we are a separate, independent organization. Interestingly enough, the EDC, we are self-funded, so we don't take any city tax levy to fund our operations.
0: Where's the funding come from?
1: Great question. Our funding comes from our real estate portfolio, our core business is the business of real estate development and management. So the EDC actually owns real estate. We manage real estate and own real estate in a variety of different types of structures. Some of those are on behalf of the city. Some of them are self-managed. Some of those are ground leases. And we, we, we're we going to have a treasure trove talking about our real estate because it's 60 million square feet and over 230 buildings across the five boroughs of New York. Wow! And the NOI, the net operating income of that real estate portfolio, is the economic engine of the EDC. So that is what enables us to employ 500 people and not just 500 regular people but really amongst the best, the brightest, the most creative people who are really looking to make an impact on New York City's
0: future. Among all the different divisions that you have, you actually have one division, I guess, which is property management. Asset management really encompasses a whole range of activities.
1: These are folks who are focused on leasing, investment, property upgrade, property management, tenant relations, um, property positioning. I mean, the whole range of what you would think of any private, private sector developer that owns a real estate portfolio, that is the work of what we do. So we are a real estate organization with a very significant real estate footprint in New York. In fact, the largest of any private real estate organization. We are significantly larger than any private real estate organization in terms of our holdings. Mm -hmm. And our holdings are vast, so they span all different types of assets. What kind of property types? So we have over 200 acres of industrial complexes on the Brooklyn waterfront in Sunset Park. That's just one example. It, it, it It is a huge expanse. It's close to 10 million square feet. And what's so interesting about it is that it's all adaptive reuse. So these are sort of former industrial complexes, former army terminals that have been over time redeployed for our innovation economy, for our advanced manufacturing um, economy. So we use our real estate in a double bottom line. So we're a double bottom line organization. We manage our entire portfolio to both financial returns as well as measured social impact. So we, through our real estate, are stimulating new sectors of the economy, As an example, New York City's manufacturing base has long been described as having left in the 70s. You know, there was a huge sort of hollowing out of the manufacturing base, which left a lot of the waterfront, which used to be a working waterfront. That waterfront became fallow for many decades. And we have been a part of a broader city policy, um, together with many partners across the private sector as well, to re-engage, reignite, and redevelop the waterfront, We're doing that here by creating space for manufacturing companies that are creating jobs, that are making products, and that are growing their businesses here in New York. And they're doing that in our real estate. And we're able to provide spaces through these industrial complexes that you can't find in Midtown Manhattan. So it's specialized space, it's large floor plates, it's Lots of light and air, it's access to ports, it's access to rail networks, it's access to infrastructure that really enables advanced manufacturing. So this is sort of like a new age manufacturing, more technology driven, more focused on innovation. Those are the types of businesses and sectors that are really taking root at this campus.
0: When people think of manufacturing, they think of factories with a lot of noise and a lot of dirt (laughs) all over the place. And from what I understand, manufacturing is not that anymore, right? Like some of these places you could eat off the floor. Absolutely. All of
1: those images that you just described, that is sort of manufacturing of the 70s, Um, certainly, you know, within New York City. Our future around advanced manufacturing is more like prototyping. It's technology
0: driven. It's new product development and design. So what are some of the things that are actually occurring in this particular area that you mentioned?
1: This area, you know, encompasses a number of different types of campuses. What we're talking about here is our Brooklyn Army Terminal Project, which is about 4 million square feet. It ranges from companies that are 1,000 square foot leases to 200,000 square feet. But it's all manufacturing of some type? Yeah. So it's all manufacturing of some type. Now, some of this, we actually have a biotech incubator there as well. So we're really blending modern science with the ability to actually develop products and sort of apply the science to product development. Then there's also more sort of like old school companies. I toured the other day a spring manufacturer. Actually, they're now developing springs that are so small that they can fit on the head of a pin. And they're used in pacemaker technology this is sort of like the evolution of older industries that are now being transformed by technology. And they want to do that here in New York, because in New York, you have this ecosystem where technology and industry and academia are really able to mix, are able to enjoy that proximity. And so that actually is a great example of how this complex is really enabling businesses to evolve and to grow. And there's over 100 businesses that are located in the Brooklyn Army Terminal. And these are thousands of jobs. So without dedicated space to really be able to do these types of activities and without a place and a real policy that the EDC has said, we want to see manufacturing grow here. These are jobs that would have gone elsewhere. So this is where, you know, we talk about a portfolio that is managed both to financial returns and to social impact. That social impact are creating good working, high paying jobs for New Yorkers and We don't just stop there, because then we also help train the ecosystem. So we help train future workers for these jobs, whether it's advanced manufacturing, or life sciences, or offshore wind. We have a lot of ground I want to cover today. So I might walk us a little bit down the street, and I want to talk to you about another part of the Sunset Park that is really serving a whole other part of a new economy for wanna, New York. I
0: want to hear about that. Great. So, <laughs> so let's and walk down I, the street. I the, and I think the listeners do, too, at this point.
1: <laughs> so, um, so continuing on in Sunset Park, I'd like to talk about our offshore wind initiative and what is happening at the South Brooklyn Marine Terminal. This is a waterfront asset. It's about 88 acres. So out of the 200, this is a, you know, this is a good chunk of it. And this is a place where New York City and the Economic Development Corporation is actually transforming this land into what will be, I think, the largest offshore wind port in the United States. So offshore wind, as you know, is part of a clean energy transformation that is underway. And New York State has set some incredibly ambitious targets around the transition to clean energy. To touch on a couple of those targets, the city has committed to 100% clean electricity by the year 2040 and carbon neutrality by 2050. So how is it going to get there? The city is taking very active steps and the EDC is really driving a lot of this clean energy transformation through the investments we're making in offshore wind. This port is part of our offshore wind vision plan where we are investing 190 million dollars into this sector across a number of opportunities. Over 50 million of that we're putting to work at this South Brooklyn Marine Terminal. We're going to use this terminal to assemble the wind turbines to do operations and maintenance, and to also serve as an interconnection point back into the grid. And the EDC is not doing this alone. We have a really strong private sector partner in this, which is Equinor. So we formed a relationship with Equinor and the Sustainable South Brooklyn Marine Terminal, which is a partnership of some um, uh, Sunset Park businesses. And th- together, we are creating this port in order to put 130 wind turbines off the coast of Brooklyn. We are just getting started in the clean energy transition. And just so you know how significant this port is, there's actually Empire Wind 1, Empire Wind 2, and Beacon. And these projects all taken together, when you take them all together, are really what is going to create enough power to provide the electricity for $2 new york homes so that's creating more than 1 billion in economic output for new york city and new york state and this is a very live and tangible example of how a new economic opportunity is being driven by the energy transition and by a very strong goal that was put in place by governor Hochul, saying we are going to commit to offshore wind and we're going to be a national leader in this
0: there are a lot of opponents to transitioning to 100% electricity to power New York State. And they say that no matter what happens, the grid is not going to be able to provide the amount of electricity that's needed to satisfy the demand, especially in high demand times like the summer when air conditioners are running 24-7. How does this impact that?
1: Bill, it's a great question. And it is a concern that I have heard from folks. And I think the best way to think about it is that we are in a massive period of investment that is going to really enable ultimately us to successfully achieve the targets of 100% clean electricity by 2040. We are not ready at this moment, but neither in this moment is this being asked of us. So what is happening is through, you know, and I'd like to highlight even, you know, some of the federal pro- uh, policies with the Inflation Reduction Act that are also bringing investment dollars into New York to help prepare cities, to help prepare the energy grid. You know, Con Ed is making investments. We are making investments. So these offshore wind opportunities will take many, many years to become operational. So these are huge infrastructure projects. So they're not being switched on tomorrow, but the investments need to be made today and are being made. Today, So, so much of the work around energy preparedness and economic development is about looking into the future and making the smart moves and the smart investments now to prepare for that for that reality. I would also just add that offshore wind alone is not the answer. And um, when I look at the city's policy, and I look at the EDC, we are supporting efforts around solar, around offshore wind. There's a number of different types of strategies that are going to enable this reality of 100% clean electricity by 2040 to be something
0: that we can all say ultimately was a success. So what you just described is really the first domino in a long line of dominoes that have to fall over the next 17 years. That's right. And in order for that to be successful, it takes not
1: only capital and investment, but it takes really preparing a workforce to be readied and to be trained in the work of clean energy. As an example, offshore wind alone is going to create 13,000 New jobs for New Yorkers. These are not jobs that existed before. This is a whole new industry that is being created today. This is a whole new sector. And these 13,000 jobs are all sorts of jobs around, you know, engineering, around maintenance and operations, around technology. And there's going to be a whole ecosystem that will form around this industry. And we're making investments in that ecosystem. So, as an example, We have recently announced over $4 million that is focused in partnership with CUNY, which is the City University of New York, to devote towards education and training to prepare students to be received into the offshore wind ecosystem. So this is training of engineers, training of different types of technical skills, so that we are not only creating the opportunities for the clean energy transition to happen, but that the investments that we're making in our people are really investments in our future.
0: So that goes back to the people that we talked about to begin with, right? It's all about the people. And what's great is that the EDC is fulfilling a role that the government could not fulfill on their own. And no private sector organization could probably fill on their own.
1: That's exactly right. This is true public-private partnership. And the EDC has as a core mission that we are an organization that undertakes partnerships because we know we need to be in partnership with the with the local community we need to think about how the opportunities that will come from this major investment at the South Brooklyn Marine Terminal will create local jobs, create local supply chain. Even um, I, I've I've had many interesting conversations about how we think about bringing manufacturing of the offshore wind turbines into New York City and to New York State. So there's all sorts of components and parts cables and you know the turbines themselves and the nacelles, and there's all different parts of the turbine that actually can be onshored and manufactured here. But in order for us to be ready for these turbines to come online in 2027 and beyond, we need to make sure that we're developing those supply chains now. And we're doing that through local
0: channels. And the United States has to be able to depend on supply chains within its own borders. Absolutely. We we have seen, you know, as an example of what happened during the pandemic, that if you're not making it at home and you can't get it, you're out of luck.
1: Yeah, no, that's exactly right. And I think onshoring is a trend that we C is staying. And we're seeing that a lot of new businesses are starting within New York. And I'd love to talk to you about some of the economic data that we're really seeing that supports that there's a lot of new business formation. And I think part of it is this trend towards localizing the supply chain, bringing goods and
0: services closer to where they're being consumed and needed. And so far, we've been talking about industrial and industry, and that's good. But, you know, there are other property types. There's retail, and then there's, you know, what has been kind of the seven-letter, four-letter word, housing. I'm familiar
1: with that as well. Yeah,
0: right talk to me a little bit about the impact that the EDC is having on retail and also housing. And of course, there's all different kinds of housing, right? There's, there's luxury condos, there's affordable condos, there's luxury rentals, there's affordable rentals, and, and what really is missing, deeply affordable housing uh, for many of the people that are trying to transition from being homeless to being housed. Housing
1: is so core to our success as a city, and I am really taking note of the joint announcements that are being made by the unprecedented cooperation that we're seeing between Governor Hochul and Mayor Adams to really drive not only economic development policy, but housing policy. We can't have a thriving economy and continuing to create jobs at the pace we are without places for people to live. And I think what we've seen over the last decade is an imbalance between the number of people that have moved to New York City and state and the number of new units that have been created. EDC very much supports housing as a core part of our economic development mission, because we know that in order for businesses to find New York attractive and to want to locate here, it is all about the talent. The talent wants to be in New York City for so many reasons, not the least of which is our culture, our dynamism, you know, the opportunities that are here, our diversity. But talent also wants to be able to afford to live in proximity to where they work. So this is a core issue for us. Last week, the governor and mayor announced, through our new New York initiative, a whole series of policy objectives, and many of them are connected to housing. And let me tell you how that connects to the EDC. So we are very focused on creating vibrant business districts and really vibrant neighborhoods. Um, We are looking at policies that would enable office buildings to convert to residential as a way of not only bringing more jobs closer to economic centers, creating more housing units, but also helping to create more live-work communities, which we think is key to further growth
0: within New York. With regard to converting offices to residential use, I've read a lot in the media and also heard a lot in the media recently, where they say that a very, very small percentage, under 5% of the office, the vacant office inventory, is actually set up in such a way that it could be converted to residential. What, what's EDC's thought on that?
1: The EDC has been part of a series of working groups that have been formed around this topic. The New New York panel is one of them, which the EDC helped to lead as well as some intergovernmental and private sector working groups, in particular around office adaptive reuse. And we acknowledge that there are some strategic changes that need to be addressed in the multiple dwelling law in order to make the conversion to residential a reality. And those need to be addressed through the legislative session, which will take place in Albany starting in January of 2023. These changes will mean that more buildings – will be able to qualify for residential conversion. So right now, there's all sorts of things preventing this. There are age limits on buildings where buildings have to be older than 1961 in order to qualify for conversion. In other parts of the city, it's you know 1977. So there's all different types of intersecting regulations that need to be aligned. And that's what we're committed to working with our
0: partners and state government to accomplish. Do you think there's going to be some programs that help subsidize these conversions. You know, we're, we, we just lost 421A and then 421G was something that was around for a while, uh, which specifically dealt with the conversion of offices to residential in downtown Manhattan after 9-11. Do you want to go out on a limb and make any predictions about what you think is going to come out of this uh, legislative session? I don't know what will come out of the legislative session, but I do know that the EDC
1: and uh, is hard at work um, with business partners, with government partners, to figure out the best policy. Um, stance going forward, and that some sort of a replacement program, we believe, uh, is necessary to address housing production in the city. I think that, you know, Mayor Adams, Governor Hochul are on record talking about we need 500,000 new units. Mayor Adams calls it, you know, our city's moonshot. We need to dramatically ramp up and increase the amount of housing production in the city. So we need more housing, and we need more affordable housing. So that means that it's not only affordable housing, we need to unleash opportunities for market rate development as well. But what is going to be most successful is when we can do that in combination and really create strong neighborhoods, economically diverse neighborhoods, mixed income neighborhoods. And those are the types of neighborhoods that we believe are not only great for New Yorkers, but are also more resilient to downturns, more resilient to creating successful ecosystems that will enable you know businesses to also thrive thrive, and be successful.
0: One of the things that I've noticed recently is that what's being left out of the conversation about affordable housing is the 900,000 or so rent-stabilized apartments that are unique to the city of New York. And those apartments aren't subsidized. So in other words, you have private ownership subsidizing affordable housing without any benefit to them really. And the rent stabilization laws were changed with the Housing Stability and Tenant Protection Act of 2019. And what that did is it changed the rent stabilization laws in such a way that it completely took away the incentive for a landlord upon natural vacancy of an apartment to renovate that apartment. They used to get something called an individual apartment improvement. And they had, and there was several. There was a vacancy bonus and a longevity bonus. Anyway, all of that went away. Uh, there was also a threshold where you could re- deregulate the apartment, and now you can't do that anymore. Apartments stay regulated into perpetuity. And so, what we have now is about forty thousand vacant, rent-stabilized apartments that landlords can't renovate. Those apartments. You know, everyone's saying they're warehousing them, but they're not. And actually, DHCR is in the process of trying to change the guidelines so that the one thing that they had left, which was combining apartments and setting a new rent, could also go away. So imagine someone living in an apartment for 30 years, if they do the renovation, which is Clearly on a eight hundred square foot apartment, eighty to one hundred thousand dollars. And their rent is fifteen hundred, and the market rent on that apartment is, you know, forty five hundred, and the landlord can't raise the rent more than eighty nine dollars a month.
1: I am familiar with this issue. So like, when I think about like how do we really make a dent in the housing conversation, we need to produce more housing. That's not the only thing we need to do. I get we also need to deal with policies that might be creating disinvestment in our rent-stabilized portfolio. But the EDC is really focused far more on the creation and the new production. How do we get new investment, new projects going? So that's not the only part of this, you know, because we have to attend to the stock that's there. But that's not the part of the housing problem that we touch most directly.
0: Who would touch that?
1: So that is the Housing Preservation and Development and the Housing Development Corporation. Those are two agencies within New York City. And there's great leadership there that is working hand in hand with the mayor. And there's also housing organizations at the New York state level. And those New York state housing agencies are very much aligned and in conversation with the city around how to address many
0: of the challenges to the rent-stabilized portfolio. Well, I hope they're listening and help these private property owners that unfortunately are not subsidized to provide affordable housing. Getting back to affordable housing and new construction, we just lost 421A, and you did a lot of 421A projects. Is that correct?
1: That's right. Yes. Now, as a private sector developer, I've developed thousands of units under the 421A program, and I've really seen how that piece of policy and legislation has unlocked so much private investment.
0: So since it went away, is there a stark decrease in new projects? I've
1: seen some numbers from REBNY, which is the Real Estate Board of New York, that have talked about a decline in housing starts. Whether that's through a combination of 421A or through other changes in the economy, interest rates, there is a pullback, in investment. And we need to make sure that we unleash policies at the city and state level that can change the trajectory of that trend. We need more housing. We saw that Mayor Adams announced 500,000 units of housing that he wants to create over the next 10 years. This is New York City's moonshot moment. Everything is on the table. We need to look at every strategy and figure out, can this help move the needle? How do we accomplish it? Is this going to create a strong, equitable New York? And things that tick all those boxes, we
0: should absolutely be looking at. So what about uh, some of the older housing stock that maybe has fulfilled its uh, economic life. Does the EDC look into taking some of those buildings, changing the zoning in those areas, and then replacing them with larger, newer, affordable housing?
1: Well, I'll tell you what we do do, which is exactly what you described, but in office. So I think there's a really interesting opportunity to think about how older office stock can be converted to residential. And what we're seeing as we look at hybrid work, as we look at how our business districts and our business communities are being transformed by technology and remote work and hybrid work, is that there are buildings, office buildings, that are really at this point functionally obsolete. They're older buildings. They don't meet the modern standards. They need enormous amounts of investment to become competitive. But they actually could have a better, more successful future as a residential conversion. And we are looking at enabling legislation that would help to make more buildings in New York qualify for that type of conversion. Now, that said... We still want to have strong business districts. So we want modern, efficient office buildings and office buildings that are going to be great places for workers to come and to thrive in. But we acknowledge that, uh, you know, private capital and the private sector needs options as it thinks about its you know, stock of office buildings. So we are looking at how that can happen through government intervention.
0: Quick little break here, Realty Speak fans, to take a moment to share with you that I love that you choose to listen and learn from Realty Speak. And now, with that in mind, I'd like to highlight a past episode that is very valuable to you, especially if you are thinking of selling your investment real estate. When you sell, you will most likely have a capital gain. And unless you properly plan in advance, you could trigger a federal, state, and local tax on that gain that will significantly impact the taxes you owe on the profit from the sale. The episode is number 45 that came out in August 2022 and is titled Protect Your Hard-Earned Capital Gains, Count the Ways. It reviews the capital gain strategies from older episodes 5, 18, and 37. And highlights a more recently developed strategy, adding yet another option to defer capital gains. I added a link to number 45 in the show notes of this episode, so it'll be easy for you to find. You can also just Google "Realty Speak count the ways, and it'll be the first in your search results. My mission? Be the best real estate advisor, consultant, and broker I can be while helping you sell, purchase, and finance investment real estate. I'm just a phone call away 917-232-8529. What else can I say? Solutions in real estate. It's in my DNA. And now back to the show. Earlier, Melissa, you mentioned live, work, play. And what does that look like? And, and maybe give me some examples of where that's actually happening here in New York. And, and again, New York City is not just Manhattan. I mean, it's five boroughs. It's Staten Island, Queens, Brooklyn, the Bronx, and Manhattan. So where is this actually happening? That is music
1: to my ears. I could not agree more. And it is certainly uh, the policy of the EDC that we are really a five-borough economic development agency. And as we think about live-work-play, that is happening not only, as you mentioned, in Midtown and Lower Manhattan, but we have a number of really strong borough-based neighborhood district ecosystems that are forming. I look at downtown Brooklyn. I look at Long Island City City. Jamaica, what's happening all the way in Broadway Junction, and what's even happening up in the Bronx in Morris Park are all great examples of how uh, government investment, private sector investment is creating jobs closer to where people live, as well as mixed-use communities. I want to also, in that regard, talk about a program that the EDC has in partnership with the government called CARE or City Agencies Revitalizing the Economy. Beyond the acronym, let me tell you what that's all about, because it really dovetails with this concept of how we create a five-borough economic development policy and how we bring more office space, more jobs into the boroughs. So this program will use city agency office relocations as anchors to create new office space in the boroughs. So in April 2022... We broke ground on the first of three sites that have been announced so far as part of this CARES program. The new building that we announced, which is being developed on, in Fulton Street in Brooklyn, is being developed by the Lesser Group and designed by Marvel Architects. This will bring best-in-class office space that will host more than 1,100 employees of the Human Resources Administration. This is a city agency called the HRA. and and all of that will be coming into Brooklyn into the heart of East New York at Broadway Junction in addition to the 1100 government jobs that are now getting you know new new office space and many of the city agencies have very very aged office space that needs to be
0: modernized what happens to that aged office space after the employees have made the transition to the new Broadway Junction. So that aged office space
1: can get reinvested in. It can get redeveloped as commercial or even residential uses. And it's city-owned land. Not always city-owned land. New York City actually leases a lot of space within private sector buildings. Some of them are government-owned buildings and some of them are private sector. So it really is case by case. But to your point, if it were government land, we would seek to redevelop that site into other economic generations.
0: You'd partner with a developer who then would make it, say, an affordable housing. Exactly. That's exactly right. And and create some of those 500,000 units we need in in housing. We need those 500,000 units. And I'll tell you,
1: we are hard at work getting to that 500,000 number. And I'll just Mentioned, we had a huge announcement with uh, the mayor about six weeks ago, announcing a redevelopment of an area called Willets Point in Queens. That's the soccer stadium, right? That's exactly right. Very exciting. Yes, it is. This is a long time coming, and by that I mean that you know the transformation of New York City of our neighborhoods of our economy this is not the work of one administration or one year this is really building on the legacy of many different mayors and many different government policies that are working in tandem and building on each other in order to create an opportunity that we were able to announce today. So what started under Bloomberg and continued under de Blasio is now coming into a reality under Mayor Adams, and that is the announcement of bringing 2,500, 100% affordable housing units to Willits Point and a new 25,000-seat Soccer Stadium, which will be the new home of the New York City Football Club, which is a soccer team that's existed for a number of years within New York City that doesn't have a permanent home. If you want to figure out where to go find a game, you literally need a GPS and you need to navigate between Westchester and New Jersey and New York City to figure out where the team is playing for for any given game. So, this is really going to create a new home for soccer. If you are not a soccer fan, I can't even fathom that because we're just coming off of one of the greatest World Cups. And I think that there's a collective euphoria around the sport. This this incredible new stadium is going to be across the street from City Field, which is also then connected to our USTA, U.S. Tennis Association facilities. So we are going to really have this enormous sports campus, sports community that's being created within Queens. So we have football.
0: Yes, football. (laughs) Football. And we have baseball and we have tennis. That's
1: exactly right. What's most striking about this announcement is that the stadium is going to be 100% privately financed. So this is a huge investment, private investment. And actually, when you take the stadium and you take the hotel, which will also be a part of this master plan and redevelopment, and you take that in combination, this announcement is bringing a billion dollars of new private investment into Willets Point Queens. So what
0: happens around the stadium? That's really where the economy goes on fire. This is going to unleash about $6 billion of
1: new economic activity over the next 30 years. And in addition, what's going on around physically next to the stadium is a new residential community that is being formed through the 2,500 affordable housing units that are being developed in a new master plan for Willets Point. Neighborhood shops have to be there that aren't there now. Neighborhood shops, restaurants... Uh, grocery stores, there's other types of, you know, social infrastructure, child care, health centers, you know, all of this is going to be studied in the, in the environmental review that this project has to go through. So this project will need to get entitled. So it will go through the city's ULERP process. ULERP, what does that stand for?
0: ULERP stands for Uniform Land Use Review Process. I heard that that's a overwhelming process sometimes and sometimes takes too long. And I understand that part of this new New York, they're trying to simplify that. That's exactly right, because we know how important ULERP is for
1: unleashing private development and creating new housing units within New York. So we have through a program called BLAST, we have looked at a number of different city regulations around zoning process, around our building construction process, and we're looking to make new projects, easier to get approved, and easier to get permitted and built. And by easy, I don't mean lowering the standards. I mean, we're creating high-quality experiences and high-quality buildings, but we know that there is regulation that can be streamlined and modernized in order to have a more efficient process and one that doesn't get bogged down in government bureaucracy. And that's something that under Mayor Adams' city of yes, we are saying as a mandate to ourselves and to all of the different government agencies. What can we do to make government easier to interact with? So I'm really excited about those changes that are being made through this program. It will take time to implement, but the drive, the commitment, and the ambition is there, and I think it will be a huge boost for New York. So the EDC is really a catalyst to get things done. That's the Perfect word to describe the EDC. It is a catalyst. It is a key partner. It is where a lot of the creativity and thinking about the art of the possible uh, comes together. But what I like to say about the EDC is it's not just the theory it really is the lab. We're a very action based organization. So while we do help guide and drive policy, we're a real estate company, we're an investment arm. Like we are actioning and making things happen and delivering a great product, which is neighborhoods that have all sorts of investment and people and our workforce that is really being prepared and readied for modern jobs.
0: Is the EDC in New York City, is that like kind of a New York thing or are there EDCs in other states? There
1: are EDCs in other states and I look forward to having an opportunity to get to
0: know some of those folks. Is there like an organization where uh, all the heads of the EDCs or the top executives in the EDCs get together at a conference and share ideas?
1: There are EDCs throughout New York State so you don't even have to necessarily go to other states and we do work very collaboratively with them there's an acknowledgement and a shared mission that it takes a lot of different levels of you know local city and state in order to make transformational projects and policies. So you know there's not like a convention that I'm aware of, but I would say that it, it, it's an organization that recognizes the need for partnership.
0: Yeah, you know what? I think that's an idea for a new business, right? Yeah. The, con- the person that does the convention for all the EDCS. <laughs> so long as we don't have another pandemic, it doesn't have to be done by Zoom. So in addition to all the uh, strategic talent that you have on staff, I would imagine you have economists that also work at the EDC. We do. And what's their outlook? What what are they saying?
1: The EDC does have a whole economic analysis division. And we do have economists on our staff, because it is so critical that we're able to measure our investments. So when we talk about what we're doing at Willett's Point, or we talk about life sciences, which I'd love to touch on with you, we need to be able to know what is the economic output? What is the impact on our tax revenue, on our tax base, on our job numbers? And we need to be able to analyze it, manage it, measure it. And that group really helps us do that.
0: Was this data available to the general public? Is there a place they can go on your website or can they ask for reports or information so that other people can benefit from the data? Absolutely.
1: Come to edc.nyc. That is our website. It is rich with information, reports, and analysis. We have a whole section called Insights, which is where you can find a lot of this economic data. And I'll touch on, actually, because we just started publishing a monthly economic snapshot that is released just after the first of every month. And I'll give you some of the highlights because I think it's important for you to know and for your listeners to know the types of economic data that we're really keeping a close eye on as we think about understanding where we are in New York City's recovery. The first and foremost are jobs. What does new job production look like? Well, it's been pretty robust for New York. In the most recent economic data, which is for November, 6,300 new private sector jobs were added in November of 2022. Just in one month. Just in one month. And when you add up all of the jobs that have been created since Mayor Adams took office on January 1st of 2022, we are close to 173,000 new jobs that have been created in the first 11 months of this year. It's a very strong number and in fact, it's our year-over-year growth rate is 5.8%, which is significantly higher than the national average. So what we're seeing is that New York City is creating jobs at a
0: significantly faster clip and a faster growth rate than the national average. Is there any data as to whether these people are coming in and adding to the population or they already live here in New York City? Well, these are net new jobs, new jobs that are being created.
1: And to your point, these are a combination of people moving to New York as well as jobs for folks that are already here. And the reason why we know that is that our unemployment rate has also dropped significantly this year. Our unemployment rate stands at approximately 5.8% in November. And I did just want to take a moment, Bill, to acknowledge that there's a lot of great economic data that we're seeing emerge. And the unemployment rate is one of them, but there are disparities within that unemployment rate. And that's important as we think about our economic recovery. We want that economic recovery to be broad-based, and we want it to be equitable across many different communities, including our communities of color. So we are still seeing persistently high unemployment rates, in particular amongst African American men. And as we think about our workforce programs and where we're making investments like those offshore wind investments that I talked about, we're really making sure that those investments are aligned to neighborhoods where we can directly impact some of the persistently high unemployment rates and make sure that this job training and that these new jobs are being targeted and that they're available for communities that are still getting back to a better spot in the
0: economic recovery. So please don't mind that I'm I'm interrupting here but I, a question is coming from what you just said if if somebody's in one of these communities where they're having trouble being reemployed after the pandemic where do they go to get access to these EDC workforce training programs?
1: We have excellent community, academic, and private sector partnerships that are at the front lines of this work. I do want to highlight that the City University of New York is really one of the best ways in which we are connecting directly with diverse communities and providing these educational and training pathways. The CUNY system is phenomenal. It is located all across New York City, and it is a great on-ramp. In addition, we have neighborhood-based partnerships and we have corporate partnerships. So I'll highlight that JetBlue announced that they were going to keep their headquarters located here in New York City. This was an announcement that was done together with Mayor Adams in the beginning of 2022. And as part of this, they held a series of job fairs and focused on the 5,000 jobs that they were creating and retaining here in New York, that this job fair was a community-based job fair that really enabled people to come to understand what the opportunities are and to find the right on-ramp into an organization like JetBlue. And there's many different stories like that happening all over New York. And EDC, through our investments with CUNY and with local neighborhood partners, are enabling us to make progress on bringing some of those job numbers in the right direction.
0: What I'd like to do is put some hyperlinks in the show notes to some of those uh, different neighborhood partnerships so that this way people have a place to go to great, uh, to actually click on it and take advantage of that. And that will be helpful. Well, I know, Melissa, you had some more economic data you wanted to share with us.
1: The other key economic data that we're taking a close look at is new business formation. So over the last 12 months, we've seen 27,000 new businesses start within New York. To put it another way, about one in 10 businesses in New York City opened up this year. So this is really exciting when you think about the kind of resilience that is a part of New York City's economy. We want to see new businesses forming because, while these are small little businesses. I mean, they were just formed. These are the businesses that are going to be growing and that are going to be creating the job engine
0: for the years to come. So what resources are available for these small businesses? Because I actually have a small business. Do you? Yes, that my brother and I started in July of 2020. That is going to be three years old this coming July, and we're very excited about it. It deals around Local law 152 the periodic inspection of gas piping systems. What resources uh, does the EDC have for a small business like mine or other people that have small businesses that have been started over the last, you know, one, two, three years to help them grow?
1: We have programs that we run called Venture Access that are very focused on entrepreneurship, where you can apply to be a part of a cohort that is um, that then taken through a whole series of uh, trainings. So this is training on business entrepreneurship, business formation, um, accessing outside capital. It's a whole curriculum. And this is a program that is for all different types of folks that are looking to unleash more growth within their businesses. And we actually, due to demand and due to, due to the success of this program, we are actually excited to announce that we will be expanding the program to
0: more entrepreneurs and to more businesses this year. So does this occur over a period of time? Is it online? Is it face-to-face? Is it free?
1: Bill, we have a number of resources that I'd like to point your attention to. First is to go to our website at edc.nyc, where you can search for Founders Fellowship and Venture Access to get more information about how to apply and to access the training that is associated with these programs targeted at entrepreneurs and new businesses. In addition, we have a business development team within the EDC that you can call that will help connect you with tax credits, with um, with um, business incentive programs, we know that it can be very difficult to navigate the whole array of programs and the whole constellation of services that exist to support entrepreneurs. And we want to make that so- far easier for the businesses and for the entrepreneurs that need to access it. So that business development team is small but mighty. They are standing by and they have successfully connected many small businesses and many large businesses with uh, as-of-right tax abatements and um, as-of-right economic incentives to help grow your business.
0: And this is for everybody from they have an idea and they're getting ready to start a business to people that are already in business and they want to scale.
1: Yes, Bill, these resources are there for all types of businesses. Specifically for small businesses, there is the Small Business Resource Network, which started during the pandemic, and to this point has helped over 10,000 businesses across New York with website development, negotiating leases for spaces with technical training and assistance. So there's a lot of different needs of businesses. We get that every business is unique, and every business has a different set of founders and entrepreneurs, and that we need to meet them where where the needs are so come to our website edc.nyc and give our business development team a call
0: all right great and i'm going to put a link to that a specific part of the website in the show notes listeners so it'll be easy for you to access i know i'm going there so you should go there too now i know you wanted to also give us some more economic data and you want to touch a little bit more on life sciences in new york So
1: rounding out the key statistics that
0: we look at that tell
1: us that New York City is really bouncing back are a few other items. So first is We can't have a show talking about economic development without talking about return to office. We know that New York City is hovering at around 50% office occupancy. Uh, That number has obviously dramatically improved from the beginning of 2022. But we also know that hybrid work is here to stay. So we are very much acknowledging that companies and businesses are going to be in a state of figuring out what works best for their talent and, and for their employees. We know, however, that we want to make sure that New York City is the best place to work. And that's why we are really strengthening our business districts. That's why we put together over 40 actionable recommendations that we put forth in our new New York plan, which is a plan that talks about how we're bringing more public realm, more public open space, more Social services to our business districts to make sure that these districts are thriving and are the most coveted in the world. We also look a lot at VC funding. That's important because when we think about growth of an economy, we want to see that private capital is bringing investment into New York and sees this as a strong location for return on investment. And we're seeing that in a big way. For the first nine months of 2022, because we don't have the last quarter yet, but for the first three quarters of 2022, we've seen $6.1 billion of VC funding coming into New York City companies. In full disclosure, this is down slightly from 2021, but you should know that 2021 was literally the all-time record in the history of New York City venture capital funding. So we are on par and on track to have our second best year in the history of New York. And to just tell you how much additional increase we're seeing, the numbers from this year alone are up 36% from pre-COVID levels. So we are seeing a huge interest in companies that wanna grow in New York and VC funding says we think that this is a great place to drive investment to drive innovation talent is here and they're showing up with their dollars and saying this is this is the location that we want to be Finally, there's a lot of tourists back in New York City. I don't know if you have been walking around
0: Midtown or walking oh, around yeah, New I'm York. Anno- and I'm annoyed because there's too many people. There's too many people. <laughs> <laughs> I got used to that whole like being able to walk without going to the left and right to avoid a whole family from Nebraska. Nothing, nothing against Nebraska. That are uh, parallel across the the sidewalk.
1: <laughs> exactly, exactly. They don't know about single file. Right, um, right, But you know what? It is a thing of beauty to see it our really sidewalks.
0: Is. I actually, I actually say to myself you know what I'm really happy that there's so many people here I really am
1: Bill, I say the same thing every single time I can't catch a cab. I'm like, I'm glad I can't catch a cab. That means that there's so much demand for cabs. You know, This is good. It's the same thing. I'm glad I can't walk down the sidewalks anymore because the tourists are back. We're seeing huge pedestrian traffic counts. Is
0: there there actual statistics on the the growth of tourism?
1: There are, in fact. We're seeing about 86% this year of pre-COVID levels. That's that's high. That is really high, um, Especially when you consider, you know, just how much New York City pre-COVID was firing on all cylinders in terms of tourism and, you know, the number of visitors coming into um, into the city. So we're seeing about 86% pedestrian traffic in Times Square. We're seeing about 86% uh, hotel Occupancy from the pre COVID levels, as well as Broadway attendance, are all sort of in the high 80s. And I think that's a really strong statement that people want to travel again. You know, they want to come to New York. This is a coveted destination for both domestic and international travelers. And they have come back in force. We welcome them with open arms. We are thrilled they will help to address some of the job numbers, which are still lagging in restaurants and bars. And that's going to help drive that employment. So come to New York. We are thrilled to have you. Uh, Rockefeller Center and the tree and all of that looks phenomenal. Um, And we're, we're excited because we think we've got great momentum going into 2023. Those are really the key metrics that we keep our eye on. Again, all of the economic snapshots are on our website under the Insights section. In addition, you can reach out to our press team to get put on an email distribution list that can have the economic snapshot sent directly into your inbox.
0: So far, we have really unpacked a lot, Melissa. And I know that there's one more thing before we go that you want to chat about, and it's life sciences.
1: So life sciences is a... High growth area within our economy that we are seeing continue to take root in New York. To be clear, we are creating a life sciences ecosystem in New York that is world class and that we want to be globally leading. To do this, we created a life sciences initiative called LifeSci NYC that is going to make a billion dollar investment. Over 10 years into this initiative, we're investing in a number of ways, and I wanted to touch on how we're doing that. I also wanted to say that within the real estate ecosystem, life sciences, lab development, office lab development remains one of the strong, bright spots. And I guess you can't work from home when you're there, right? That's exactly right. And that's a great point because these lab buildings that are getting developed which is really this life science initiative has been very focused around creating the right sort of infrastructure within the city to support life sciences innovation and a big part of that is you need to have the right kind of space. So this lab space is very specific and technical. This is not just setting up some tables or different office furniture configuration. These are really high performance buildings that need to be developed and that are getting developed now through public-private partnerships and through a lot of national life sciences players that are also coming into New York and realizing that the ecosystem here is really unique. Why is it unique? Well, a huge part of why life sciences is going to be successful here and continue to take root is that we have got some of the leading research hospitals right here in our backyard. All along the east side of Manhattan, you have the leading institutions, health institutions of the world. And these are research centers, and we are actively connecting that research with commercialization so that we are able to take the research and translate it into companies. And these companies need spaces to work. They need employees to hire. And these companies, which are starting out small, are growing as their research and as the technology is proven out through this FDA discovery process. This is a phenomenal initiative. We are supporting it in a number of ways. First, we've actually set up two different life sciences advisory councils. One of them is a council that is comprised of leadership from academia, from venture capital, and from the health and hospital leadership, I call it the board of Eds and Meds. These are the scientists that are you know closest to the science and closest to the funding of the of the science that is going to create the commercialization. And they help guide our policy. They're a real resource for us. And I highlight this because I think that's one of the unique things about the EDC is that we're really a connector. Um, so we like to convene people. We like to have the benefit of um, you know what others know as we form policies and make investments. We're also doing this on the real estate side. So we've formed a real estate life sciences advisory board, which we call ReLab, and that board is comprised of leading developers of life sciences, investors into life sciences buildings, brokers, as well as incubators. We want to hear firsthand what is going on within, you know, leasing, what is going on within lab space development. What are the types of regulations that are standing in the way that we should be focused on addressing through our advocacy and through our legislative agenda? So we have a really strong feedback loop in our life sciences arena, both from the eds and meds, as well as from the real estate community. And I want to thank those groups and those leaders for being partners with us in guiding this billion-dollar investment. In addition to that, I want to highlight where we are in this 10 year journey. So, in 10 years, we are on track to create over 2,000 new companies, life sciences companies, and unlock over 40,000 jobs. In order to do this, though, we need about 10 million square feet of life sciences real estate. So that's where this real estate board is so critical in making sure that we are meeting the demand that we know is going to come from the commercialization of all of this
0: new research and technology. Now, can that real estate come from existing structures or does it really have to be built brand new? Well, it's actually from both and we're
1: seeing really live examples of this. So out in Long Island City, Inno Labs has developed out of a an existing structure. They have gut renovated and rehabilitated an existing structure and added on top of it as well. So we're seeing both adaptive reuse as well as new construction in combination. Now, again, these are super high performance buildings. They have very high technical demands around airflow, MEP systems, uh, chemical handling systems, Uh, Delivery, uh, loading and unloading. These are high performance facilities. They're expensive facilities to develop. But I think, interestingly enough, we're seeing that Long Island City has become a hub for life sciences. We're also seeing that in Kipps Bay in Manhattan on the east side in the 20s and 30s is really becoming. Um, a huge hub and sort of the heart of the life sciences ecosystem. And further to that, about three months ago, we announced with Governor Hochul and Mayor Adams a new campus that we are creating on First Avenue between 25th and 26th Street, called Spark, that stands for Science Park and Research Center. And this new campus is going to be a real anchor for life sciences and is going to bring together on one full city block, this is a five-acre redevelopment, 1.5 million square feet of both academic uses. So we're going to have the Hunter School of Nursing and other CUNY-related academic programs um, as well as a Department of Education high school that's focused on health and technology. We're going to have as well as 650,000 square foot commercial life sciences building that will be RFP'd out to the private sector and developed with a private sector Uh, development partner. So we are live on this campus showing the connection between academia and industry that we think is the key to unlocking and unleashing growth in life sciences development in
0: New York. And I bet the venture capitalists are paying close attention to all of this.
1: <laughs> that's exactly right. <laughs> that is exactly right. With, uh, with all that strong VC funding that we're seeing coming into New York. And you're right. A lot of that is coming into tech and into life sciences. And that New York continues to see year over year the increase of venture capital that's targeted at the sector continuing
0: to grow within New York. So New York City is reinventing itself. It really is. It's a huge transition in the 21st century.
1: It is a huge transition. And I love your word reinvention because that is – That is who New York is.
0: And I'm familiar with reinvention because I've reinvented myself multiple times.
1: (laughs) So you're a real New Yorker and a real New York story. Right,
0: right. And you can't and you really can't get tired of it. And it looks like New York City is never going to get tired of it. I mean, how many times can we look back over the last, you know, 100 years of New York City and how many times it was brought to its knees and it just stood up again. And that's what it's doing right now. It is standing up again. And it's, not, and it's not just going to stand up. It's going to stand up and it's going to walk up to the top of the platform and be the place it's supposed to be because it really is the most amazing place on earth because of its diversity in everything that you could possibly imagine. I mean you could walk down the street and hear every language. You, you, you can see every nationality. You can attend every type of religious service that could possibly be. It really is a very, very special place, and it's so exciting to see that the EDC is so entrenched and involved in making it be what it's supposed to be. And I think the pandemic probably accelerated all this because it it, it told us, it showed us that anything can happen, and when it does, we, we just have to figure it out, and we're doing it. We're doing it. We're figuring it out. Hello, New York. Hello, New
1: York. Bill, I couldn't have said it better myself. That was a phenomenal summary of who New York is. Adversity has created opportunity. That's what we are creating at the EDC. And we are very excited about
0: 2023 and about what we're going to accomplish together. Right, well, I think this is a great place to end our conversation. And listeners, you know, when, I, when I was thinking about doing this, normally, you know, I do a little short five-minute episode end-of-year message for December for the Realty Speak podcast, and when I decided to do a full episode, I had no idea like what an amazing episode it would be and how appropriate it would be and what kind of message it's delivering to go into 2023. Melissa, thank you so much. It's been an incredible episode, and listeners, thank you very much for being part of it. Melissa, before we go, if people want to get in touch with you, how do they do that?
1: drop me a line via email at mbirch at edc.nyc. Thank you, Bill. I've really enjoyed the conversation today. You've got great questions, and I hope you see the range of what we're doing at EDC. It's a dynamic place. I'd love to share more about it with you. So let's make this an annual tradition. Invite me back next year.
0: Sounds good to me. Well there you have it everyone thank you for listening i look forward to you joining me for the next episode of realty speak the podcast please subscribe you can do so on the website just go to the podcast page on the website and there is an opt-in option at the top of the page or search realty speak on your favorite podcast app like podcast republic my fave on android devices or apple podcast on an iphone find it open it hit subscribe and you're in spotify realty speak is there too And please help Realty Speed grow by sharing the show with others. From the website player, just click share and choose your preferred social media platform. And of course, if you'd like to talk about purchasing, selling, or financing investment real estate, access past episodes, or just chat, you can contact me directly via the website at BillWidener.com. That's B-I-L-L-W-E-I-D-N-E-R.com. And remember, it's not about us, but how we help you make the bottom line rise. Until next time.